Uh, my name is Winston. Um, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Cornerstone, and I don't um, speak very often. I don't get a chance to, so this is, uh, you guys are very fortunate. Uh, yes, oh yeah. Uh, actually, I was uh, looking at my notes uh, from last year, and they start by saying, this is an exact quote from my notes, as of tomorrow, it'll be exactly one year since the day when I last got a chance to speak. So apparently, I speak once every year, which is great. This works well for me. Uh, I, uh, and I always start at every sermon I have just saying how horrible I am at making decisions and how hard it is for me even to pick a scripture to talk about. Uh, and one of my great, expl- uh, great well, my wife, Alicia, uh, she knows this more than anything, how terrible I am at just making decisions. Uh, and so uh, it came to, I'll just give you a little backstory. Alicia and I kind of met, we're both from Cape Breton. We worked at a Bible camp together. We got to really know each other. So after the summer of Bible camp, I got up the courage, and I'm like, I'm going to ask Alicia Davis. So I went to Alicia. I said, Alicia, would you like to date me? And she said no. And I was like, okay. That's okay. It was not okay. I was devastated. Uh, but uh, after the summer ended, we realized that we're both still in Cape Breton. And kind of as the fall went through, we actually started to date. And I was like, okay, great. We're dating now. So we were dating. And like uh, the best thing to happen for any guy when he starts to date a girl, she decided to go to Africa for a year. And so that's what happened. So she got uh, on a plane, went to do some mission work in Africa for a year. Uh, and I was going to Crandall. So I went to university in Crandall, uh, and she was in Africa. And uh, so in Africa, she lived in a mud hut with no running water and no electricity, but she had a cell phone that was solar powered. So while I was in university, I would go down to the corner store and I would buy phone cards. I think they were $10 for five minutes. So every day I would go buy a phone card, and I would give Alicia a call. I, I led chapel. I did worship at chapel time. So after chapel, and I would talk about Alicia all the time. I would sing and say how she's doing in Africa. And then I would go after chapel, go to the parking lot, sit in my car, and call her up. Because it was afternoon where we were, but it was nighttime in Africa. And so after a year, like months on the phone, eventually she thought, okay, this guy is terrible at making decisions. I'm going to ask him to marry me. And that's what happened. Alicia asked me to marry her. And it was one of the best decisions I'd never made <laughs> because we are happily married now. But that's kind of who I am. And, uh, but thankfully, uh, as you see, we're going to talk about joy this morning. Uh, last year, I started my eight-year series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, my first one was on gentleness. This year, I'm going to talk about joy. Uh, and I kind of knew, so I knew in my mind. I was like, oh, great. This is what I'm going to speak on. I've got the whole year to prepare. But there's another thing about me that irks some people. Is I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I just like to have deadlines. I need deadlines. I get distracted super easily. So I need a deadline. So I knew that this deadline was coming. And just going back, so when I was at Crandall, I um, led one of the worship teams. And I did sound for the worship team. So they gave me a key that would open up the door. And Alicia told me not to tell us. Wait, is there anyone here from Crandall? that can take away my degree. Okay, good. So, Alicia, I had this key that opened up my, the auditorium and the, and the sound booth, and so I had this key. But I learned that this was a magic key. And so there was a wing to the prof's offices that was closed by a door. Every student had until essentially Monday morning before the prof got there to get their papers in. But the doors were locked on Friday at 5 o'clock. So everyone had to have their papers in by Friday at 5 o'clock, so they get to the prof's door and slide it under the prof's. Uh, door. But I learned that this magic ring would get me in that wing. 
So, of course, I just took the extra Saturday and Sunday to write my papers and would get there first thing Monday morning, slide, open the prof's wing, and slide my paper under the door. So I was there in the right time. I had a little extra time because of this magic key, but that's kind of how I am. I like deadlines, but I push the deadline to the max. And so, we're going to learn about joy this morning. I'm going to pray before we begin because I think I have to pray for forgiveness for that moment. Uh, so why don't we all bow our heads as we pray. Um, Father, you know who I am, God. You know who we all are. And we're all people in desperate need of you. Of a Savior who loves us so much but is here for us, God. So this morning as we reflect on, on joy, on gifts that you give us, God, uh, remind us that you are for us and you are here and you love us, Father. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. So, fruits of the Spirit. Why don't we look at the list, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And they read, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these there is no law. Uh, for those of you who like an order of things, I started with the eighth one, gentleness. Now I'm going to do the second one, joy, I'm sorry, this is how I act, this is how I do things. Uh, and what does it mean? What are these fruit of the spirits? And actually, we've got a really great definition of what Paul means uh, from Jesus himself on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, in Matthew 7, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious as wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is the way they act. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify people by their actions. So this is how we should act in theory. The fruit of the Spirit are ways that we should act. Um, and it kind of is not always the way we are, we know. But this is how the, Paul wanted the church to act to each other. This is how we should be known by, how we act to each other. Actually, I did some research. I, uh, this historian, Rodney Stark, said, uh, it's, because, it's not because of two or three great preachers that the early church grew. It's not because of two or, three, two or three great theologians that the early church grew. It's because people were living examples of what the fruit of the spirits were to each other. People saw that they were living differently. And because of that, the church grew and grew. And it ends with this great line that says, there is no law against these things. Everything is good. Joy is good. Happiness is good. Love is good. No one's going to say, you can't do that. And that's the great thing of these gifts that are given to us. And, and Paul is not above struggling with these things. So this was written to the Galatians. Because in, Galatian, in, the, in, the, in the Galatian people, they were, they were having a disunity with each other. And, and disunity is something Paul knew kind of a lot about. Uh, Paul had this friend Barnabas. And if you know Paul and Barnabas, they did a lot of mission trips together. They would, they would tour and, and just tell people about Jesus. And at one point, uh, Paul and Barnabas were set to go on a mission trip. And Barnabas said, I want to take my friend uh, John Mark with us. But Paul did not want to take John Mark. Because John Mark, it says, deserted them at one point. Uh, and it says in Acts 15 that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted companies. They parted ways. They went their own separate way. So disunity is something that Paul knew all about. And yet this is what this whole... Fruits of the Spirit are for, they were for the unity of the church. 
Um, I have recently started to listen to true crime podcasts. I don't know why, but I find them very fascinating. And then I got this thought. I'm like, and I was talking to Hannah and Mike, actually. I was like, what if we did a true crime podcast about the people in the Bible? How cool would that be? Because the one thing about the Bible is that it's very real. It does not hide the sins of anyone. You know, if I wrote the Bible, I think I would have Paul not showing his disunity with Barnabas. I don't think I would put that in. Why does that make sense? I want my heroes to be heroes. And yet in the Bible, we see people that are fallen, that make mistakes all the time. When I listen to these true crime, crime podcasts, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like David's life. David was a terrible person in many ways. He did a lot of terrible things. But that's not what the Bible, the Bible is very raw and real this way. And that's kind of, we're coming to joy. Because how does joy fit into all of this? Um, and it's funny, I've been thinking for a year now about talking about joy. I do procrastinate, but it's always in my mind. I know the deadline's coming. And so I thought, when I first thought about speaking, I was like, oh, I just want to have a happy morning. How great would that be? We're all happy. We leave happy. That would be fantastic. So I even asked a friend who toured Canada for a while as a comedian. I said, would you come to a five-minute set of stand-up? He said, no. <laughs> yeah. So that was OK. And then as I was thinking about happiness and, and how to write that into this morning, I, uh, this great Bible teacher that I follow, his name is Steve Brown, he released a book this year called Laughter and Lament. And the idea is you cannot have joy without going through the sorrow sometimes. And sometimes I don't want to look at the sorrow. The sorrow is hurtful. I just want to be joyful. But that's not how life is. Actually, the synopsis of the book says this. What do we do with sadness and the joy that living in a broken world will bring to our lives? Most try to avoid the tears and focus on only finding happiness. But does that really work? Denial might help alleviate pain for a short run, but eventually lament must be faced and expressed. Learning to lament honestly to God is the surprising path to learning about real joy. So there's a giant difference between happiness and joy. Happiness doesn't last. Where the Bible says joy lasts forever. Happiness is related to our present, circumstance, present circumstances. Joy is related to our Jesus Christ. Happiness is transient and fleeting. Joy is constant simply because, because we have a God who is constant. So this morning is not about happiness. But happiness is a great gift. This is a side product of joy sometimes. And this morning we're going to kind of talk about joy. Uh, how many have you seen this verse? You might know it's from Nehemiah 8.10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. I feel like one of those verses that are like on pieces of wood that people have around. Very, very famous verse. Uh, but we kind of have to look at this verse in the context of itself. Uh, here's a brief history of uh, the book of Nehemiah, where it's from. Uh, the Israelites were in a time of exile when this happens. The beautiful temple that Solomon built uh, had been destroyed. So Nehemiah went to the king and asked for permission to rebuild the walls. And he was granted his wish. Once the walls and the gates were rebuilt, Ezra, a fellow prophet at the time, gathered all the Jews together, and he read from the law of God. The people sat and listened to all the ways that they failed God. 
They had, to they had restored the broken walls of the city, but now they saw that they were broken people and needed restoring as well. As this realization was setting in, they were grieving because they hadn't lived lives that were the way they were supposed to live. They had failed to love God and failed to love each other. And that is when the truth of this verse came in. When the people were crying because of their brokenness and they recognized in themselves and each other, that is when this verse comes from Nehemiah. This is a holy day to God, your God. Do not weep and carry on. Go home and prepare a feast, holiday food and drink, and share it with those who don't have anything. Because this day is holy to God. Don't feel bad. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, in her book, uh, How God Loves Us, Discovering His Character and the Fruit of the Spirit, Jessica Thompson writes about this chapter. And she says, Nehemiah isn't talking about mustering up some fake happiness so people think that you're a strong Christian. This book is about reveling in the forgiveness and grace of God. This is a book about celebrating that it brings joy, it brings God joy to forgive us and welcome us, even though we have broken the law. When we meditate on the fact that we are forgiven, we can't help to feel joy. God's joy is redeeming, it is contagious. When we feel the joy and relief that comes from forgiveness, we have the strength to continue on. We have the strength to try again, even though we fail over and over again. God is calling us to his own celebration of joy. Grieving over our sin is important. And then we have a joyful God who wants to make us joyful people. Mike, a few weeks ago, opened up the service with one of my favorite verses. And it's from Zeph. And I'll tell you that many times. Actually, I have a list. Anytime Phil says this is my favorite verse, I write it down. I've got a whole bunch of them. But I think I'm the same way. But this is one of my favorites, and it's from Zephaniah 3.17. And it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with his gladness. He will love you. He will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful song. Isn't that crazy? When I picture sometimes when I go to God, this is not what I picture. I don't picture a God who's joyful to see me. Because oftentimes when I go to him, I'm coming for need. I'm coming for brokenness. But yet we have a God who says he delights over us. He is joyful to be with us, which is so cool. So, joy. Um, we're going to look at a bunch of things from Luke 15. Again, some of my favorite parables. There's three of them here, all about joyfulness. Uh, and the morning's going to go, we kind of look through a bit of scripture, we're going to look at three parables, we're going to see what is a byproduct of joy, what can joy do for us, we're going to look at something that can take us out of joy, and then we're going to see what joy results in sometimes. So, Luke 15, there's three parables that Jesus tells, and it's, uh, the context is Jesus is teaching tax collectors and notorious sinners, and the Pharisees are very upset at this, because they're saying he's associating with Sinful people. He's even eating with them, it says. And in light of this, Jesus tells these three stories. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. You probably know it. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. 
And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me. Parable number two. Suppose a woman lost a silver, she had ten silver coins, and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search it carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. And the third, and probably my favorite, is the parable of the prodigal son, which we kind of know. It's the story of a guy, a man who had two sons. And Jesus says, to illustrate, to illustrate this point further, further, the Bible says, Jesus told him the story. That the two sons were there, an older son and a younger son. The younger son said, Dad, I'm kind of done being your son. I just want to take what's mine, and I want to go on my own. So that's what happens. So the father says, okay. He divides the inheritance into two between his two sons, and he gives it to one son. The younger son takes it, we know, and he has a great time. He has friends everywhere because of all this money. He's spending it. He's having a great time. And then he realizes that eventually the money runs out. And he's got nothing. And it says that he spends it on and begins to starve. So he convinces a local farmer to hire him. And the farmer sends him to feed the pigs. But still there, the man becomes so hungry that he has to eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And in verse 17 it says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Even my hired servants, or even at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, forgive me for the sins I have against you in heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired hand. So the son makes his way back to his father. He's kind of going through this in his head. How am I going to say this? How am I going to phrase this? I've messed up so big. So I can imagine just the son thinking what to do, what to do, how to say it. But in verse 20 it says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. He said to his, or his son began to say, Father, I have sinned against you. But his father said, stop. Quick, everyone, bring him the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill a calf that we've been fatted. Because we have to celebrate with a feast. For the son who was dead has now returned. He is lost but was now found. So the party began. Isn't that great? But before I get on to the joy, which I want to talk about so much, i got to talk about what can steal our joy. And we find that in the older son. It says the brother was... Uh, the other son, he was working in the field. And he kind of was, came home after working all day in the field. And he saw that there was a party happening. So he asked one of the servants, what's going on? The servant explained what was happening. And it said that the older brother was so angry, he would not go in. His father came out and begged him to go in because the son that was lost was now found. But he refused to go in. And I kind of can see myself in that older brother a lot. I can find that what steals my joy a lot is, is jealousy. This older brother, he had been working. He'd been doing everything. He'd probably been doing chores that these younger brother used to do. And he had to do them because his younger brother was gone. And then his brother came back and they had this party and the older brother was jealous, which I, I get. My, my younger brother, in ways, I 
I'm jealous of him because he's, he's very wise in many ways. And I'm like, why are you so wise? <laughs> yeah. But I, I sympathize with that. But I know jealousy and bitterness can take our joy. When I'm streaming through Facebook, sometimes I'll be like, oh, these people are having a great time in a different country. And these people are over here. They just bought a new car. And these people here have a brand new house. And I can be jealous. And my joy is gone. It happens. But we can't focus on our bitterness or jealousy, because that will steal our joy. There was this great line that I read, and it kind of uh, applies to me too in those moments. It says, we sometimes want to take Jesus' wine and turn it into water. We don't want to have fun, just like the brother didn't want to go to the party, and he didn't want anyone else to have fun. But true joy comes from the Lord's. When we look at the list of these three stories, the lost sheep, it says that when he arrived back, he called all his neighbors together to rejoice. The lost coin, it says she called all her neighbors to rejoice together. And it says the father was so happy that his son was back home that they began to party. This is what joy is. Joy is infectious. Joy brings people together. Jesus, through his work on the cross, through the spirit given to us, gives us this joy. This, we are designed to be together. I, Joel did such a great message last two weeks ago when he talked about how, you know, I want to sometimes fight for myself and I want to do it alone. But we are made to be together with each other. Um, it's not about happiness, but joy. And that's kind of what the whole description of was Paul trying to keep Galatians together with the gifts of the Spirit. It was about the unity of the body. Um, my dad got a very unwelcome diagnosis in the last couple weeks. And uh, in this, uh, my dad's in his 70s, and he had three friends in their 70s and 80s drive from Cape Breton to drive up to Sussex, where my dad lives, to, to meet with him, to pray with him, which is so cool. It's cool that my dad has friends like that. I have a friend, also from Cape Breton. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. His name is Eric Angus White. Uh, if it sounds like a musician's name, he is a musician. You can check out his music. He's really good. Uh, but Eric and I, we, he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding, uh, both from Cape Breton. Uh, and Eric, um, I don't know how to describe Eric. He's, he's Dana-ish, where he doesn't believe in technology. <laughs> He doesn't have a cell phone, so I can't text him, which is aggravating to me because sometimes I want to send him stuff. I send him emails. He'll respond two months later. Uh, but Eric does crazy things, which, which is fascinating to me. Uh, and I actually had a chance to speak at a kid's camp a couple weeks ago in, in, in New Brunswick. And my whole five-day sermon was kind of based on fear. And it was based on times I had tree planting. I don't know if anyone's ever tree planted, but they take in the middle of nowhere and I came across many bears. So I, I had a fear story every night with a better bear, and then kind of how scripture teaches us we can overcome fear. Uh, so one of my greatest bear stories involved Eric, who both made the bear almost kill me, but he also saved me from this bear. Uh, and a very cool thing happened. Just that same night, my dad's three friends were coming from Cape Breton to Sussex to pray with my dad. Eric, 
not knowing this, was on his way home from Cape Breton. Flew to Quebec to buy a vehicle, driving it home, and he wanted to stop to see my dad, to pray with my dad. So all these four guys, at the same time, arrived at my folks' house. Isn't that amazing? So Eric brought out his guitar, and they started to sing, and they started to worship, and they started to pray. They had a party. In the midst of this lament that they were going through, they partied. And that's something that will happen through joy. Joy will bring people together for us to party together. I'm going to have the band come up now because I'm going to tell another cool story because something else has happened since this diagnosis. Um, just days before, actually, my brother-in-law, Ray, has been planning a 50th birthday for my older sister, Kim. Kim is older than me by many years. She's 50. <laughs> Hopefully she gets this. Uh, and actually, another cool thing about Kim, she just got ordained two weeks ago. I got to see her at Oasis as they brought her up on stage to kind of say how cool this was. So uh, it's very cool. So anyway, my older sister, Kim, was having a 50th birthday. And they were playing this party with it. It was a surprise party. Uh, but then in the days of starting to plan it, we got this diagnosis about my dad. And there was questions of what should we go ahead with the party, but we did. And then the party was great, just kind of celebrating Kim and, and focusing on God and his love. And there was great music, and there was a lot of dancing. And so I would notice off to the side my folks, my mom and dad, starting to dance together. And then, since then, I've heard a lot of few stories <clears throat> about my siblings just telling me, yeah, we were doing this, and then mom and dad started to dance. And that is a product of the joy in the Lord that we have. And they missed supplements. I am not a dancer. I wish I was. It's one of those things I really wish I had the, the ability to do. I've been working on a joke that I've been trying to make because I grew up in a church that was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. And so I would say that we used to sing Father Abraham, but we couldn't do any of the, the actions <laughs> because the actions would be too much like dancing. Thank you for laughing at that. Uh, but for some reason, I was chosen. If, I was going to show the video. I was chosen many years ago to dance at the Regis and Kelly thing down at the waterfront. I don't know why they chose me. I cannot dance. If you can get to see the video, you'll see that. But I do feel like this is something we miss. I'm not here to say you need to dance, but there's something about being free. Because we are freed. Because of who God is. My folks are free. Not because of the diagnosis. Not because of how hard it's going to be. But because they believe in a God who gives us joy. Gives us the reason to dance and the reason to sing. So this morning, we're going to sing a last song about trading our sorrows for joy. And again, this morning is not about happiness. It's about being real to a God who is real with us, who knows the struggles that we have. He knows where you're at this morning. Even if you don't know, if you don't go to him and think, oh, I'm going to a God who is joyful, he is joyful because you go to him. So this morning, why don't we sing for the joy of our Lord as we stand together?